This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Today we're launching to a new series entitled Grace. Everyone shout the word grace. grace. Everyone. Grace. 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 It's a word that most people would understand. Most people have heard. Maybe you don't fully grasp it, but you understand the word grace is in the Bible, and there's a lot of songs about grace, but we felt to really put a handle on grace so that everybody could kind of enter in and grasp it. That's the message this morning is on grasping grace. Uh, We've not done a series just on this word for forever. Uh, We've preached about it in different messages and different pieces, but we're going to try to really zero in and actually plumb this word and get into it and really uh, grasp it for our lives because it's an awesome word. It's an amazing word. Uh, The subject is so massive. When you go to study, it's like jumping into the ocean. You don't even know where to start because the whole Bible is filled with this word, this concept, and the nature of God. I mean, grace is everywhere, and uh, we need to understand it. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And so I'm going to try to get you to think with me today. I have a lot of slides because I want you to look at it and hear me. I want you to think with me. I want you to uh, process with me. I want you to feel what I feel after studying for a number of hours about grace. I want to just baptize you into the thought on grace, the grace of God. What is the grace of God? John Newton wrote the song, Amazing Grace, which everybody knows. Amazing Grace. I mean, the country singers do it. The rock stars do it. The heavy weddings and, I mean, funerals everywhere. People know Amazing Grace. Well, when it was written, uh, John Newton was a, uh, a very naughty man. Uh, John Newton's life, he was a blasphemer. He was a uh, slave ship owner. Uh, he was a man who was a drunkard. Uh, his whole life was in debauchery. And uh, when you read his life story and you understand how deep in sin he was and how broken and how horrible of a man he actually was, he was hated even by the people who were in their darkest times of the slave industry. He was hated as being even meaner and more uh, into debauchery than they were. So this man, John Newton, when he got saved, he wrote the song Amazing Grace. And it became, in his day, a very important song, but not a famous song. Didn't become famous really for about another hundred years. He wrote it in 1700. It wasn't for another hundred years that Amazing Grace as a song became famous. And then it would put the music, actually some of the verses were added to his verses and written uh, that we sing now. But you, you get the idea, this man who, who comes out of horrible darkness and horrible bondage is, is overwhelmed by grace. And he writes the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, the sound, the sound. And I really want you to hear the sound of grace. I want you to hear it in your heart during this series. There's, there's a sound of grace. How sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. And so all of us who have gone through that process of being saved or calling on Jesus would understand that. And uh, maybe I'm going to remind you some of that. And some of you that are sitting here right now in all the auditoriums, rooms, and online, wherever you're listening, uh, maybe you're on your own journey. And that journey maybe is... Uh, dark to you. Maybe that journey has a lot of questions. Maybe maybe you're sitting in this service in these campuses and you're sitting with shame. Maybe you're, you're, you brought all your shame and your guilt with you into the building because you don't know how to get rid of it. And that shame and that guilt weighs on your heart. Maybe you have some, some dark holes in your soul that nobody knows about 
and uh, you would like to get rid of them, but you don't know how to get rid of them. You don't know how to kind of close the door and go on. And so there's a lot of different emotions that comes with grace. When I think of my own life and I think how God rescued me and got me, there's, there's no, there was, I had nothing to offer. I had nothing really to give God. I had nothing to present as a package and say, this is why you should choose me because I would be an amazing choice if you would choose me. I wasn't amazing at all. There was nothing good in me. I was a rebel. I was a, a druggie in the 60s. I was just like the, what you see in the movies now when they show the 60s and all these long-haired people doing drugs and selling drugs. That, that was me and, and Mark Estes too. And so... <laughs> We, we were, we were, I like giving other people's testimonies. All of us came through different dark valleys and dark times, and, and, and for sure I did. There was nothing in me. The more I look back, the more I realize what grace, what amazing grace came upon my life and saved the wretch like me and then gave me a life and gave me a, a journey and gave me a beautiful wife and children and, and uh, churches to lead. Why? I still am amazed that I get to lead this church and have led for almost a quarter of a century now. And you think about all of a sudden time just goes by, but the people don't. And the, the legacy of relationship and what happens in that time period is so important. And, and I was able and privileged to do that. As Ken said, it, it never was my church. It, it's always been Jesus' church. And, and we know that. And all that we're going through right now is because of you and for you and for the congregation to have consistency and to make sure we stay healthy and keep our eyes on Jesus and keep changing. It, it's not about a, about a man or just one leader. It's about us together with Christ really doing something that would impact the world. Can I hear an amen? And so that is grace. Grace upon me, grace upon you, grace upon our church, grace upon your family. A survey was done not long ago with America asking the American people, what are the three phrases uh, that are most important to you? And there was a number of things, but the top three that came in were these three phrases. I love you, I forgive you, and supper is ready. I don't know how the third one fit in with everything, except it's the very nature of the American people to eat their way to heaven or to somewhere else. And so grace is hearing someone say, I love you. And those words are still the most beautiful words you will ever hear when someone, whether it's a parent or a spouse or, or a friend or, or the Holy Spirit whispering in your heart, and that's what I'm after in this particular series, is that you that feel unlovable, you that feel marginalized, you that feel left behind, you that feel you have a lot of baggage, you that feel I have a lot of reason not to be loved totally, I've done a lot of wrong things, maybe nobody even knows some of the stuff you still do. So we have lives that we present to God and we would love for God to say I love you and sometimes as we're singing a song or we hear a sermon and, and, we, and we read the words on the unconditional lavish love of God that comes upon us through the cross and the flowing of the blood of Jesus and we see so many wonderful songs that really talk about what I'm preaching about this morning, but it could be that you kind of stop there. You sing it, but you don't receive it. You sing it, but you don't believe it. You, you hear it, but you have reasons why you can't really take it. Grace comes to make a huge change in our life, which you can do. Uh, Amish man went to the mall with his son, first time they ever went, true story. And uh, when they're at the mall, they see things they never son, uh, saw before. And the father's trying to explain to the son some of the stuff. And they're standing in front of an elevator. And they cannot figure out what the elevator is for. 
how to work it and what it is, and they just stood there for the longest time. And, and so up walks this uh, middle-aged older woman, and she steps into the elevator, and they're staring at this woman. She's looking at them like, why don't you get in? But they don't know what to do. So she pushes the button, the elevator goes up. They're standing there thinking, what happened to her? Elevator comes back down and out steps this beautiful woman. <laughs> and the father leans over to the son and says, go get mother. <laughs> so, <laughs> grace changes us. Sometimes it's almost like that with the elevator that you look at things and say, how does that work? How does that person? Have you ever, have you ever gone through uh, years of your life and change and you had some people you did life with 10, 20, 30 years ago or in high school or college or whatever and now you've gone through massive change and you're not the person at all you used to be and everything about you has changed and then you bump into someone that knew you when you were the other way and they say to you, what happened to you? You are not the person at all that I remember. How many have had that happen to them? How many know that's a good feeling? Unless they say, you're worse than you've ever been. <laughs> now, now that's a bad feeling. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about the good feeling of change. So grace comes to change. Now, here's my first slide. Surprise, and we're talking about surprise by grace. That's the name of the series. Surprise is to be struck with a sudden feeling of wonder. And that's what I'm hoping will happen to you as we talk about grace. You're going to be struck with something to understand. I never understood grace like that. Astonishment, unexpectedness, to be amazed, shocked, it means your eyes are open or in slang, a uh, jaw dropper. We use that, my, my jaw just dropped. I mean, it's a jaw dropper. Well, when you really understand grace to be what it really is in the Bible, I think it is a jaw dropper. When I start studying on this again, and, and, and I read a number of books and I've done the word studies and I've done everything I can do to try to grasp a subject. Every time I ever preach, I try to do that. The more I did grace, the more I realized no wonder it's hard to understand because it's, it, it really doesn't go along with the American mindset. It, do, it doesn't go along with really a religious mindset. Grace is not a religious word. Matter of fact, grace is opposite to religion. Grace is not a merit word. Grace is not you do your part and then God does his part. Grace is an all God part word, which is hard for us to grasp, hard for us to balance, hard for us to share with people because we always feel there's something more they should do, something more I should do. All of us feel that when we come to God, if I just would have prayed more. I mean, when I was going through the cancer situation, you're faced with the idea that there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing more I can pray about. I had thousands of people praying. I've received all kinds of information from people about healing and prayer. And, and literally our church was 6,000 plus people, plus all the churches we fellowship with, plus around the world. I had thousands of people praying for me only to come to realize that there's nothing I could do, even with all the prayer, even with all the agreement, even with all the emails and all the texts and all the love and everything else. It was really in the hands of God. And the bottom line was, God was either going to move this through or God was not going to move it through. There's nothing anybody can do about it. It's an all God thing. He uses doctors, he uses people to encourage, and he uses prayer. But it really lands on the all God sovereign part, whatever God wants to do. So when we come to grace, we have to understand, first of all, what does God say about grace? Not what do you think, what do other people say, even the church, but 
what does God say? Well, that would lead you to the second question. What does the Bible say? And then that would lead you to a third question. How do you see that in Jesus and how radical is it? And then a fourth question, how would I live it out if I really did understand this kind of grace? And so you have to kind of answer the question, did God talk about it? Did the Bible talk about it? Did Jesus live it? And how would it affect me? Of course, all of that is wrapped up in this series. We're going to do four messages. The first one is on grasping, which I'm doing this morning, grasping grace. And then we're going to talk about being strengthened, changed, and surprised by grace. And each one of those will be around a set of scriptures that will do exegesis, simply meaning we dig into the scripture and bring out from the text interpretation we can apply to a human heart. And so we will look at the scripture and we will, we will plumb those scriptures and bring out some thoughts about how to be strengthened by grace. And in, in, in my weakness, I can be strong. How does that work? How to change, transformation? What part do I play with transformation? And then surprise. My third thought about grace being a surprise is this. Grace is a surprise. Why? Because God doesn't give us what we deserve. Now, this would be the long and short of it and the bottom line. When you talk about grace, it comes into this definition right here. Grace is a surprise. Why? Because God doesn't give us what we deserve. But then he goes beyond that, but gives us all things we don't deserve. So he stops things we do deserve, judgments and sowing and reapings and breaking of principles and, you know, sowing our wild seed and going against things and, you know, bad decisions. And there's just a lot of stuff that could come down the pipe and affect my life. And I might deserve every one of those things that come down the pipe. But grace messes with, now you have to understand I would have to qualify my qualifying, but I'm just preaching on grace and I just have to say it. Grace messes with the law of sowing and reaping. It actually stops some of the harvest. It actually does some things that even though you deserve something to come down the pipe and hit you this way because you sowed it that way, you sowed the seed, you made the bad decision, grace steps in sometimes and stops the wrong harvest. How many of you are really, really happy this morning that grace does that? That grace actually steps in and stops some of the things that could be coming down the pipe because some of the things I deserve and I did and, and I'm just hoping God will turn that bad decision around and you know I, I didn't mean it to be so horrible but it is and if I live this whole decision out this is what's going to happen grace comes in and stops I could say, say it this way on this definition judgment is getting what we deserve I understand that and actually I'm comfortable with that but that's not grace but Sometimes I'm more comfortable with just understanding judgment is getting what we deserve and I deserved it so it came my way. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And then grace is getting what we don't deserve. And so if you put the three thoughts together, that judgment is just, I get it because I deserve it. Okay, I understand. Mercy is not getting what's coming down the pipeline. God stops it. And grace not only stops what's coming down the pipeline, but gives me a boatload of stuff that I should never have. It doesn't belong to me. I didn't pay for it. 
It's an inheritance that someone is just writing the check for. They're signing off the property. They're giving me something that I have no right. I was poor and now I'm rich. I didn't have the property, now I have the property. I don't know how this happened. I, I don't deserve it. I, how did this get into my hands? That's what grace is. Grace wants to bring into your life a future that you could never buy by your own blood. A future you could never beg by your own begging. A future that you have no right to have a blessing of favor and the goodness of God. But thank God for grace that you have a future that you don't deserve, but Christ bought it better so that you could live it out to be in a blessed future. Grace buys for you, but you can't buy for yourself. Grace gives you what you can't even find. Grace opens doors that you don't even know are there. Grace takes away the enemy's onslaught against your life when you don't even know what's coming. Grace protects you when you don't even pray for protection. Grace supplies for you when you don't even have faith for provision. Grace on its own is a powerful virtue. And that's the grace that God has given you. You know, in, in the uh, idea of religion, even other religions like Hinduism and, and Buddhism, the basis of their religion is merit. The basis of Buddhism and Hinduism, so many are merit. And, and what they say uh, on how a person finds or even reincarnates into something, it's kind of an amazing statement that our religion also kind of bumps up against, but we just don't call it this. Karma, they call it the karma, but what is karma? Karma is this, the sum of a person's actions in this and previous states, however many times you've been reinvented, previous states or existence viewed as what? Deciding the fate in future existences. And so for them, what they do decides the fate they will have in another life. And so it's all based on the merit system. Uh, Jehovah Witness, Mormonism, and many of those are done the same as karma. It's all based on a merit system. It's based on what you do, how you do it, how many times you do it. And Catholicism used to kind of bump up against the same thing with purgatory and other things. And when you learn where those things started, you just have to throw them out. They were never in the scripture, not until the third century priests had to get money for the stuff they wanted to build. And that's what they came up with is these ideas that people could pay for sins they didn't commit or they could pay themselves out of purgatory. Well, all of these different religions and ideas are based on a merit system. They're based on what you do. They're based on how you find acceptance. They're based on, on your charitable deeds. They're based on, well, you know, I know if I did this and this and this, I probably would deserve this. And so if we're not careful, tithing can be a merit system. Prayer can be a merit system. We actually start thinking that we're adding to what God wants to do by the things we do. But grace comes in and says, it's not because of you, it's because of me. And even when you don't have the faith to pray powerful prayer, prayers, grace comes in and still invades heaven, brings down your answers and does things for you that you don't even have faith for. You might not even have energy for. You might be so discouraged you can't ramp up to the high level of faith and the high level of fasting and prayer and I'm going to go after this thing. There's some things that you don't go after that you get. There's some things that grace gets for you and gives to you before you can do all the work to even get them. But sometimes in doing that, we forget to thank God and realize how sovereign he is, how wonderful he is, and what he's really doing in our life. Can I hear an amen? amen. What is grace? Here it is again. Grace is what? 
Grace is amazing. Grace is free. Scandalous, inexhaustible, mysterious, extravagant, unconditional, abundant, mind-boggling, and marvelous. So all the words that we could talk about, Paul uses words, he actually makes up two different Greek words that he puts in front of grace for us to try to understand uh, the significance, the depth, and the breadth of grace when he talks about uh, how surpassing it is or how uh, uh, beyond he uses that Greek word. Well, that was not a word used in that day, but Paul used it to try to get people to understand just how powerful grace is. Now, I'm going to give you a few more definitions so that you can just kind of track with me. Hebrews 4.16 is one of the best scriptures to talk about when we talk about grace. Hebrews 4.16. Would you, on every campus right now, read this scripture out loud with me in this particular translation? Everyone together. So let us keep on coming boldly. Stop right there. I like the way this translation says, so let us keep on coming. Start from the beginning, here we go. So let us keep on coming boldly to the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy, find grace to help in our time of need. When you come to God in a time of need, the writer of Hebrews says it's called the throne of grace. Not condemnation, not judgment, not other words we could put in there, but the writer of Hebrews says, when you really, really have some needs in your life, you come to the God of grace. And in that moment, the God of grace begins to zero in on your need. And that need is represented in the need. It's not represented in your goodness. It's not represented in what you might have done, could have done, have done. But just because you have the need, God's grace comes to minister to that need, the grace of God. Here's another uh, definition for grace. Grace is what? It's a word about God. It's the throne of grace. When we talk about grace, it's a word about God. It's God's nature. It's God's essence. He's made of grace. Grace is not one of his virtues. Grace is him. If you cut into God, you cut into grace. Grace is God. It's not added to God. It is the very essence of God. A word about God. His uncoerced initiative pervasive, extravagant demonstrations of his care, favor over you and me, undeserving life. This is for you now. So God initiates, begins to move into your life, invading your life. Our response can be, I don't deserve it. I can't believe God would do that. I don't believe your prayer. I don't believe God will answer that prayer for me because, see, I'm a, kind of a bad person or, you know, I have a lot of baggage you don't know about or, you know, I, 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 you don't know my financial, you don't know what my morals, you don't know my domestic situation, you don't know how really evil I am and how many people I've abused and how many people I've lied to and taken advantage of. And you look at me and you think I look very successful, but my success is with rotten eggs and rotten tomatoes. Everything that I built on was to take advantage and hurt people and up the ladder I went and here I am. And then I found Christ, but I have all this horrible ladder stuff that I was climbing on and the people I've hurt. And now you've come to me to pray and say, Lord, bless him. And, and you just can't even take the blessing or Lord, favor him. The Lord's not going to favor me because he sees all this stuff. Well, the great thing about grace is God demonstrates to the people who don't deserve it. You, 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 you are a person, no matter how bad, no matter how deep, 
No matter what the enemy whispers in your ear, no matter what other people say to you, no matter, no matter, no matter, no matter, there's a God in heaven who says, I go beyond everything you are, everything you've done, everything you think about yourself, and I initiate my love towards you. I do it on my own free will. You have nothing to do with it. You cannot stop it. You cannot increase it. I am God. You're the person in need. I come to you whether you like it or not. I love you whether you like it or not. I'm going to provide for you whether you like it or not. I'm going to open doors whether you like it or not. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to make you the kind of person you've always wanted to be because I have grace for your life. It's not you. Not you. Grace is what? Here's another slide. Jesus. When you think of grace, Jesus is grace. Jesus is the presence and power of grace. So when I think of grace, I have to go to the life of Christ and I have to follow the life of Christ. Okay, it says in John 1.14, Jesus was full of grace, full of truth. It wasn't half grace, half truth. He was full of grace and full of truth. He, he had enough grace in him to pour over to everybody, every person, every situation. So when you put Jesus, who's the embodiment of grace, Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnation, then he grows up and finally we get a glimpse of his life at the time of 30 for three years and so you have just a three and a half year window to watch this particular sinless man called Jesus Christ the way he lived and so the embodiment of grace as you see in Christ as you read the gospels you understand that Jesus being full of grace was in opposition to the religious system all the time there's nothing about the system that identified with Jesus even the synagogue done by the priest who in the Old Testament were the most respected. These were the high priests. It was the high priests and the synagogue and, and the priests on duty, not all of them, because there were some that turned to Christ. We know that some that turned to the kingdom, but much of that whole system are the ones who crucified him. They're the ones who found the woman in adultery and threw her at Jesus' feet. It was the religious leaders that did this. They waited until they watched her commit adultery. They're very sneaky fellas. Then they threw her at Jesus' feet and said, okay, what are you going to do about it? Because the law says she's a dead woman. And you can't break the law because you're supposed to be this new teacher that's teaching this new kind of whatever. But you know if you break the law, then you're guilty of the law and we would have right to your life. So they threw the woman at Jesus' feet. You know the story where he knelt down, began to write in the sand. And one by one, they peeled off. I think, because of what he says later, he simply knelt down, looked around. Here's all these men standing there with a rock in their hand, literally ready to kill this woman. And Jesus writes something in the sand. I think he looks at the first guy and says, here's what I know about you. What do you think? Want to talk about it? Puts his rock down, goes, you know, I'm going to go drink some goat milk somewhere. Uh, I don't think then he goes to the next guy and says, oh, um, how about this one for you? Ah, Yeah, I'm leaving. I'm out of So Jesus simply revealed, and then he said to them, he that's without sin, you cast the first stone. They all threw down their rocks and they left. And he said to the woman, you're forgiven too. And you don't have to be under the law. I forgive you. Jesus being the personified grace he was 
would always forgive the people that other people wouldn't forgive. Jesus is the one who would take the marginalized people, the leper, the old woman, the, the, you know, the woman that bent over with 12 years of, of uh, sickness and spent all of her money and said she spent everything she had trying to get well. This woman had nothing left. She's in the crowd. She's crawling on the ground. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing that she would even do this. But when she touched the hem of his garment, grace is released to her. Why? Grace is always released best to those who need it most. Grace is always released best to those who have no other avenue of help. No other way to get whole. No other way to live their life. No answers for their bondage. No answers to their dilemma. No answers to their sickness. And when she grabbed a hold of that garment, grace came right into her and immediately she's healed. And Jesus stopped and says, hey, who just extracted grace from me? Who was it? And she was embarrassed and they finally found her and the woman says, I was sick, now I'm whole. I I mean, my blood stopped. I was sick for 12 years. And now Jesus is able to take people who have had issues for decades. They've had anger. They've had this. They've had, I mean, we could start naming all the dysfunctionalities. But the fact is, church is not a place for the perfect. It's a place for the broken. The, the, the fact is, the more comfortable the church is with people that are not perfect and people who are ruining their life doing things that you would say, why do you even come to church? That is exactly what church does. That's why we exist. That's why Jesus exists. That's why grace exists is for those people. So when we get into lifestyles we don't like and we get into confusions, we get, you have to come back to Jesus who was Grace for all people, especially the ones the religious people cast out. If once you receive grace like this, it's very easy to give it. But if you think you earned and you have a right and you are the, the epitome of a Christian person because of the way you dress and the way you think and the way you give and the way you carry on and the church is blessed to have you here and everybody should turn out just like you and you see yourself as that kind of a Christian, the first time you run into a real wreck of a human being and you run into somebody who has a moral life that is so against what you've done, and I'm not endorsing any of their sins, what I'm saying is you still have to have grace for the broken person not looking at all the things that broke them, but looking at who they are and then giving grace to that. That's why the church has such a hard time in America is because we're still, we have, a, we have a few religious spirits parked in our services that don't understand grace. So when a young person comes in wearing a baseball cap, and someone says, this is the house of God. Get that cap off your head. What do we call that? Stupid. <laughs> That's what we call it. It's stupid. Ain't nothing gracious about it. There's nothing Christ-like about it. It's religious. You come dressed a certain way. Well, you can't wear those clothes to church. 
or like a parent come running in a while back. This has been a while back now because we have a lot of sinners that come to church because they're comfortable with me. <laughs> they, had a parent run in and say, do you know there are young people smoking in our parking lot? And I said, praise God. <laughs> that is so awesome that they came. We were putting on a conference and someone came running up to me and says, you know, the people coming in, I smell a, smell a lot of alcohol on their breath. I said, Praise God, they're here. They came. Those are the people we're after. Instead of, this is the house of God. This is not the house of God. That right there, the buildings and the lights and everything, that is not the house of God. By the way, we are the house of God. Not a building. Not a building. Say, well, do you let people just, well, I'm, no, I Talk to Mark about it. All right. Grace. Let's go on a couple more here. Grace is God's goodness. So here's another simple, but ac this is an accurate definition right here of biblical words that are used for grace, both the Hebrew and Greek. This is an accurate definition. Grace is God's goodness. Love, mercy, kindness toward people without regard to their flaw, their failure, or their sin. If you want to understand grace, don't you dare go to Webster's Dictionary and look up the word. Because that ain't it. It is as wrong as wrong. If you're looking for biblical grace, if you look at the Webster's de definition, it'll tell you that grace is charisma, beauty, elegance, uh, attractiveness, but grace is not a personal virtue. Grace is for the undeserved. It's a favor that only God can give from a, from a superior to an inferior. It has nothing to do with, oh, she has a lot of grace. So we start thinking of grace as, as something that uh, is attractive on a person or something that's beautiful. Well, she has a lot of grace. She plays a violin with grace. And then grace in the Bible is not that. Grace in the Bible is grace being poured out in kindness to people who could not have kindness without that person putting kindness on them. They would never have it. Or that superior putting blessing on them because no one is going to bless them and there's no way for them to find blessing. They can't beg blessing. They can't do anything to get blessing. The king says, but, but I will bless them. I will bless them. And so he puts on that grace over their life. Here's another definition from Tozer. He says, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Undeserving, that's you and me. God's unmerited favor. Now, you won't take these down, so don't even try, but here's some uh, statements made by other theologians or biblical studiers or people that have a lot of brain power working for them. And so I've taken their definitions or their concepts, their, their statements about grace, but I just thought it would be good for you to at least see them. So let, let me just go quickly like this, but let's just look at these. This is what other great thinkers have tried to say about grace. The very center and core of the whole Bible is the doctrine of the grace of God, the grace of God which depends not one whit upon anything that is in man, but is absolutely undeserved, resistless, and sovereign. 
Real grace is simply inexplicable. I like this one because the words he uses, inappropriate, out of the box, out of bounds, offensive, excessive, too much given to the wrong people, and all those things. How many of you would say, I like that definition? I might be one of those, all those things that it's out of the box, doesn't seem to fit, but it's on me and I take it. Here's another one. You can call it what you like, categorize it, dissect it, qualify it, quantify or dismiss it, and none of it will make grace anything other than precisely what grace is, which is what? Audacious, unwarranted, and unlimited. Oh, I'd like to put some limitations on this. Bible says, good luck, Frank. Unwarranted, unlimited, audacious, out of the box, hard to understand. Have you ever said, I have said, I have said, I am going to confess my sin right now. I have said on a number of occasions in my heart, I don't verbalize it, not even, I don't even talk in my sleep. I don't let anybody hear some of the words that I would say. But there are some people I look at and I say, God, why do you bless them? They're absolutely the wrong person to bless. If you wanted to bless somebody that lines up. <laughs> and I, won't, I will testify. I will glorify. I will talk about it to everybody. This person is going to waste it. They're going to throw it away. They will never mention your name. I just don't get it. Grace is that place in life when you don't get it. And God says... It's audacious, unwarranted, unlimited. I bless whom I want to bless. Here's another one. In grace, God gives nothing less than himself. Grace then is not a third thing or substance mediated between God and sinners, but is Jesus Christ in redeeming action. So grace is that. Another one. I like this one too. I do not understand the mystery of grace. Only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. How many can say, <clears throat> hallelujah? You know, it meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us where it finds us. Here's another one. I like this one too. I guess I like all of them because I put them on my notes. <laughs> but this one is, is very practical, very real. Everybody will get it. Grace means, how about this? I mean, is this just not so right? That all of your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving your shame. Now you think about that one for just an hour. Just think about it. How many mistakes have I made that I'm so ashamed of? And what do we want to do when we make mistakes? We want to hide them. What do we want to do? We don't want anybody to talk about them. We want, we want, to, uh, we want to just kind of outrun them, you know, just leave, leave my past behind. I, and when someone, used to be when somebody from my past would come, if they were way back, like in my high school or right out of high school, I didn't want them to be around anybody else I knew because they might start telling stories. And you know what else Frank did? Rama, quit that. You know. These people think I'm a holy man of God. These people believe that, you know, that I'm a good leader to follow. Don't be telling them them those stories. Grace never lets you have 
that embarrassing idea of your mistakes because grace turns mistakes into things that are used by God. And so the very mistake that you try to hide or get away from and you're ashamed of turns into a purpose-driven life because your mistakes will serve you for your brokenness, for your wisdom, the scars you bear. When someone says, well, I, I, I heard, I, I hope you don't mind, but I heard you had an abortion. And I need to talk to someone, and I don't know who to talk to, but I can't believe I'm looking at you that you would ever do anything like that. And then either you're in very, who told you that? Or grace has already healed your heart. And you say, hon, I certainly did. I feel bad, horrible at times. But God comes and heals my heart, gives me purpose. I will see that child in heaven. And I want to talk with you about your challenge. And you use your mistake not in hiding, but in grace to help people. Grace to speak into someone else's life. Grace to say to someone, when people say, and I've had parents say, so Frank, you used to smoke pot. I'd say, yeah, I was just a little early before the Oregon laws kicked in. <laughs> If I would have been an organ, I would have. Yeah, I did. Well, my son's a pot smoker. What will I do? How do I help him? Well, this is what you could do. This is what I did. And this is how it helped me. And you just need to be open and talk about it and not try to hide it. And let, let, let me talk to the boy. Let me. I've, I've had young people come in and talk with me because of my sin. Because of my sin. They said, so you, you used to drink and stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you partied and with Mark. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh. Okay. I was going to do up a poster for the vote this morning, but I, I thought maybe I shouldn't. I talked to Walter about it. I don't think you pulled it off either, did you? No, you were, I thought I might sin if I did it, but I was gonna do a poster to help Mark get all the votes he could. And so the poster had Mark Hestes, vote for Mark Hestes, and it said, 5% tithe. This is what Mark will do for you. 5% tithe, 60-minute services, finish his notes, and never wear black. Vote for Mark. <laughs> but I, I, didn't, I didn't publish that. But, but, but now you know that was my heart's desire. <laughs> Grace, as the band comes to the platform, Mr. Jeremy, and whoever is leading on all these other beautiful campuses, uh, I would love, I would love, I would love for Grace to visit you where you are. I would love that. I would love for some people sitting here that have all kinds of stuff going on to say, wow, you know, maybe, maybe I could change. Or for those with some black holes in your past to take a breath. You're just hoping nobody will ever reveal it. Nothing will ever happen. You won't even confess it to a leader to pray about it because you're afraid it might get out. Could it be that 
I could just bring you to the throne of grace and let God take away the shame, the embarrassment, get yourself cleansed, get yourself right, and never have to worry if you have to face it. If you do face it, you face it with victory and with dignity, and you move on from that point. That's grace. Grace works on everybody's part. Every head bowed for 60 seconds. Try this with me, everybody. Just, just try to lock in for 60 seconds right now. If you're in the services today, no matter what campus, what service you're in, what building you're in, but right now, if you're in the building, you say, Frank, I know that I need Jesus to come into my life and give me hope and help and a future. I've never really accepted him, never found him, never knew he even wanted me, but I do want this kind of Jesus in my life and I want to live a different life. If you're a person who has never known Christ, I'm talking to you. If you're a person who's away from Jesus, however you got away, the devil still beats you up all the time that it's you and your bad decisions, you can't get back. I'm telling you right now, grace is whispering in your ear a new sound of forgiveness, a new sound of hope, a new sound that says you can make it, you can change, you will never look back. You'll kick those things and you'll never have to go back this way again. Grace can turn your life around. If you're in this building, and you have, well, first of all, all those, as you're praying with me, all those that don't know Jesus or you're away from Jesus and, and you with grace will give your life back to Jesus. Would you lift your hand straight up right now? Just lift it up in the building, wherever you're seated, all over. Please, thank you. Just lift your hand right now. Say, Frank, you're talking to me. I need Christ. I've been away from Christ. Lift your hand right now. One, two, three. Lift your hand up and say, I'm the person you're talking to on all the different campuses right now. Please lift your hand in the back over here, over here. Anyone else, lift your hand. I'm away from Christ and I need to get back. Thank you for those hands over there. I'm going to tell you what to do in just a second. Second or third, those who have some dark holes in your soul and you would like God to turn your shame into forgiveness and victory and you want grace to come upon your life today, lift your hand right now. Just lift your hand and say, there's some stuff I would love grace to come in and take care of. Always a lot of hands on this one. How about this one? You have not just a dark hole in your soul, but you have some really, really bad habits that hurt people, abuse people, hurt yourself, You've turned into someone that you don't want to become like, but you, you've turned into a hard-hearted, unforgiving, bitter, or anger, or lustful, or, 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 or gossiping, or whatever it is, but you've let some habit choke the beauty of Christ right out of your life. And Jesus is saying, I want my grace to come and help you break out of your past. Would you lift your hand right now? Say, Frank, you're talking to me. I need grace to break out. I need grace to break out. Okay, church on every campus. Will you stand to your feet right now? Everybody, just stand, every, every living human being, and don't leave, don't walk out for the next few seconds because it's not gonna change your life if you give me another minute, but it might change your life in the kingdom of God if you give me a minute in this room, all right? Now, we're gonna sing a song in just a moment, and that song is gonna be talking about the love of God that comes upon our life and helps us. This is what I want you to do. I'm, gonna, I'm going to have... Every person, again, everyone that feels grace is dealing with you and you want to respond to it, lift your hand again right now. Lift your hand and say, grace is coming to break things off, save my soul, cleanse me, lift me, give me hope. I want every person with their hand lifted on all the campuses, I want you to come stand with me right here. Would you come right now and stand with me right in the front? Please come. Come.
just, just step out. Come on. Some of, some of you young people over here, thank you. The lifters, some in the back, some of those young couples and young singles, and I want you to come. On every campus, on 217, from the cafe, right into the front, as Ben Trelease and Oshis and the guys are standing there, and Jason Millplane from the top, come on down. Why do I do this? I think there's something. I think there's something. Personally, I think there's something that Jesus would say to people in the Gospels, reach out your hand, and he touched them. Or he would say to them, stand up. Or he would say to them, go wash. Or he would say to them, I think there's something about an internal something that's going on. When you put an external step of faith to it, it kind of breaks you into the other realm. Right now, you need grace for your marriage, grace for your habits, grace for your future, grace for bad decisions that are are going to overwhelm you if you don't get the grace of God moving on them. As we sing this song, nobody knows why you're coming up. Take advantage of the atmosphere. Guys, I give you your campuses, all the bands sing.